The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. And we are still this year celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. What a great year. What a great celebration we've had so far. Hey, special shout-out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Uh, always there, always behind me. Love you, Yoshiko. And today we have another disability leader. I have been trying this year to bring on board national disability leaders in America who are making a difference. And how exciting it is for me to have Mark Riccobono, the president of the National Federation of the Blind, as our guest today. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, well, Mark, how about if you first describe to our listeners how, like me, living with epilepsy, you have a different disability. How did you join the community? Well, it's an interesting uh, question because um, I uh, am blind and I grew up uh, having glaucoma, and so I was diagnosed as being legally blind at age five, but I would actually say that I didn't know that um, I was a blind person until I got halfway through college and was about to uh, give up. I had um, hit the wall. I didn't know how to uh, really deal with blindness. I actually didn't know I was a blind person. No one had ever told me. I just knew that I couldn't see so well. No one had ever taught me the techniques or tools that blind people use to be successful, and so I faked it uh, all through school. I faked it uh, as though I was a sighted person, and so I really don't count, uh, I guess, joining the community until uh, I was a, after my sophomore year in college when I found the National Federation of the Blind. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship in the state of Wisconsin, and I was invited to come to the Federation's National Convention, which was in Anaheim, California. And I found out that um, it was respectable to be blind, that blindness was not the characteristic that defined what my future could be, and that I could get the skills, training, and confidence to live the life that I wanted to live. Wow. Well, we're glad you figured that out. So this sort of... (laughs) What you talked about sort of gets to my next question. You had glaucoma as a child, and then this kept progressing as you grew up. Uh, but you had that since you were five. So what was that like in elementary school, middle school, high school? How did that impact you? Well, um, yeah, as I say, in one sense I was fortunate. Um, uh, my parents didn't 
uh, know any people who were blind. Uh, so they largely encouraged me to uh, go out there and do the things I wanted to do. Um, and I was encouraged to participate. I played uh, baseball with the Cub Scouts for a while. Now, granted, I wasn't the best hitter or fielder, but I was out there doing stuff, and I was in the other activities. But slowly over time, as I lost vision, um, I, I got the message that vision was very important. And as I said, I didn't know... Uh, that it was respectable to be blind, that there were techniques that blind people used like Braille to compete on terms of equality. And so over time, I really began to limit myself. And uh, in the school system, um, I got by because I was just smart enough and I had a very strong work ethic. I worked very hard. I got that from my family and that got me through. But but for that, uh, I would have been swallowed up by the system um, because I was largely, in many ways, ignored. Uh, no one really uh, took care to uh, give me the tools that I needed to really access printed information in a way that was authentic to, to me as a blind person to read and write and to have the confidence and the skills to uh, compete in all the things I needed to as a blind person. I was uh, fortunate in high school. I came across some uh, people that were very active in um, sporting activities for blind people, and so I learned that I could compete in track, and I got involved in the track team. But by that time, I was a senior in high school, and so as I say, I missed a lot of opportunities and mostly learned to uh, pretend as though I saw more than I really did. Wow. Okay, now let me ask you that question. How many people do you think do that? I think a lot of people uh, do. Uh, we're, we're a very vision-centric society, and we haven't gotten the message to everybody to know that um, vision is not a requirement for success. In a lot of cases... Uh, things are portrayed as uh, requiring vision, uh, but they're really not. And especially when the average person doesn't know a, a blind person, they don't know what the tools and techniques are that blind people use to be successful. And so it's hard for them to imagine. And, and particularly with blindness, uh, my opinion is the interesting thing is uh, anybody can experience what they think it's like to be blind. Uh, they close their eyes and they think, man, this is what it's like to be blind. Um, it's not really the case, right? Because what they're experiencing is what it's like to be newly blind, to have no skills, to have no idea about the, the techniques that blind people use to be successful. And it's really that image of, wow, I know what it's like to be blind now, that gives those negative misconceptions about the capacity of blind people. And so I think there are a lot of people who are losing vision, who have limited vision, who um, don't embrace the techniques that blind people use, even though they would be more efficient than using the limited vision they have because they haven't been taught how those techniques are efficient. 
how they can uh, maximize the vision they have, but also use the non-visual skills and to have confidence in those skills. And you really have to use those techniques to have the confidence behind them. I am so glad you talked about that. I, Mark, I am so glad. What I'm referring to is when people talk about uh, sensitivity training and they get people and they, for the first time, have them in a wheelchair uh, or, as you just said, uh, put a, uh, you know, blindfold them and then you hear them say, wow, now I know what it's like to be blind or wow, now I know it's what it's like you know, when you're in a wheelchair, and as you said, no, it isn't like that, but here's what the problem is. It is negative because it just causes the person to be, oh, my God, I never, how could I ever hire someone? Look what they would have to go through. In no way, shape, or form do I feel that helps. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it has to be done in, a, in an empowering way, in a, in a way that is authentic to really teaching uh, people something. But in an, a couple of hours, uh, it, it can't be done in a way that's really going to change attitudes in a big, bold way. Uh, we do what we call transformational seminars with leaders in the Baltimore community, the National Federation of the Blind is headquartered in Baltimore. So if you're in Baltimore, come on over and visit us, our national headquarters. Uh, we bring leaders in from the community, and we, over a period of three hours, do some activities. And some of them we do under blindfold, but they're skill-based activities led by blind people. And again, we make it very clear that this is not what it's like to be blind. This is what it's like to be a newly blind person on day one. And you would need more than a day to master and have confidence in these skills. But we run them through some activities. And we compare that to and contrast that with what some of the other experiences are. So sometimes people say, well, it's a lot easier if you just walk on someone's arm than walking by yourself. Well, when you take someone and you walk them uh, around uh, with a sighted guide, and then you contrast that with giving them a cane and teaching them how blind people use the long white cane and what information they get from it, it if it's done the right way, they understand the difference in the blind person having the control over the situation and the blind person traveling independently, making their own decisions, and using the information around them. And so we're pretty careful about that. But, of course, a, a lot of people think, well, disability, we can teach the sensitivity very quickly. We actually think the best way to learn about um, disability is to get to know not just one, not just two people with disabilities, but 10, 20, 50 um, in the National Federation of the Blind at our national convention this summer, we had 2,800 people. Well, that's a good way to get to know that blind people are a cross-section of society. Get to know a whole bunch of them, and not just in a meeting, but at the bar, at the restaurant, at the pool. You get to know what they're like, and you'll find that it's a diversity of people. It is. It is, and it's a great thing to meet people 
with disabilities in all areas. But we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Right now, we're going to go to break. We have been talking to Mark Riccobono, President of the National Federation of the Blind. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Mark. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Mark Riccobono, the president of the National Federation of the Blind today. And, Mark, I wanted to talk to you for a minute about inclusion, exclusion. Um, when you were growing up, did you feel included or excluded at school? And did you ever have to deal with bullying as so many young people with disabilities have to deal with every day at school? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I uh, felt included in some ways, I, I, it, but it depended on the teacher. Um, in a systemic fashion, uh, not really, because I, I think uh, the system mostly ignored the fact that I was there and that I had um, specialized needs. Um, I should have been learning Braille uh, from the day one when I hit kindergarten. Um, I should have been learning Braille and print together. Uh, so I think 
in a lot of ways, the system overall um, excluded me. I had a lot of teachers who uh, made an effort to include me, uh, although they didn't know anything about blindness. Um, they recognized me as having capacity, and they did their best to uh, try to get that out of me. Um, you know, kids are kids. Uh, I I never saw it as... Um, I mean, I got into some some tussles, but I never saw it as related to disability. It was more uh, normal uh, schoolyard stuff. There was probably some, and certainly you have a kid now and then who, uh, especially being a blind person, who would try to get me to see something or uh, pick on me because of that. And I had some uh, tough experiences because of that. I don't think it would have been as much of a problem had I had blind role models. Uh, but I didn't know any other blind people. As I said, I didn't know as a blind person, so I, I really had no concept of how to deal with it or how to just reject it as being a uh, misunderstanding about what my capacity was. So I definitely had some hard experiences, um, uh, not physically hard, but emotionally hard. And, you know, as I've said, my mechanism to deal with that was to start faking it, which of course ultimately really excluded me from um, who I really was and what I could really do, because I was trying to go through school being someone else, uh, using skills that weren't my strengths, uh, trying to see stuff that I couldn't. So in many ways I was excluded, and I think when I look at the education system today and what happens in the education system with blind students, it's not much better. We're trying to change that in the National Federation of the Blind uh, quite aggressively. But I still think that education, well, I, I think education really is the, um, the next real civil rights frontier for people with disabilities. Yeah. My, my question is, what about after school? Like, what about... Uh, just being, you know, dealing with people in the public. Uh, what has been your experience there as a blind person? Because sometimes when I talk, for example, to people who are deaf, they tell me these stories about, you know, running into problems if they're at the store, or, you know, if they're at the gas station, you know, those type of things. What about you? Uh, yes. Uh, certainly one of the problems, the biggest problem that we face as blind people today continues to be the public misunderstanding and the low expectations for blind people. Uh, one of the primary things we do in the National Federation of the Blind is teach blind people how to deal with the public attitudes about blindness um, because you're going to face them. If you're going to go out in the world, which is what we want, and if people are going to live the lives they want to live, you're going to run into uh, people who know nothing about blindness and who expect nothing from you. Um, it doesn't matter how well-dressed you are. It doesn't matter how confidently uh, you walk a lot of the time. You run into people who have low expectations, and for whatever reason, their experience, the deep um, notion uh, that blindness is one of the most tragic things that can happen to you 
uh, is pervasive. And a lot of times the attitudes we come across and the, the negative interactions do come from a place of people trying to be kind. But, of course, the kindness a lot of times becomes um, really a barrier for us because we get treated like children, uh, even in situations where we should be in control. So, I mean, yeah, we could talk about hundreds of experiences, um, experiences where people ask you if you need help and you tell them no and they ask you, are you sure you don't need help? And you tell them, no, I'm fine. And they continue to press you as though they know better than you what kind of help you need. And um, then when you do try to get information from people, you know, blind people, the other barrier we have is access to information. Um, People get a lot of information from signs. Of course, as a blind person, I can't look down the street and read a sign. So if I'm in the airport, for example, I might stop and ask someone, you know, what gate is this? And rather than answering my question, they ask me a question. Uh, Well, where are you going? Well, no, I don't answer a question with a question. You know, I just need the information about what gate I'm at. It doesn't matter where I'm going. Um, where are you going? <laughs> you know, uh, so those experiences happen, and a lot of times they're frustrating. Sometimes uh, they're very frustrating. Uh, that's the challenge that we face, but also it's the opportunity because being out in the world. Um, allows us the opportunity to change those attitudes. But it it does get uh, a little taxing sometimes. I I told someone recently when I was in an airport, I sent him a text and said, you know, sometimes you just don't want to be educating all of the time. <laughs> right, yeah. Yes, and I think, you know, and this goes on now to employment, uh, this pity factor is one of the biggest problems. That's why... Uh, for the past 12 years here on my radio show, when I speak publicly, when I write articles, no matter what it is, you frequently hear me say people with disabilities need paychecks, not pity. And this pity factor um, causes a lot of problems. For example, for people who are blind, this constant, oh, can I help you? Oh, Now, don't get me wrong. If someone's opening the door... Uh, like for me, no matter who it is, the person you know will say, "Oh, thank you." But if for some reason the person says, "No, I'm fine," then no, I'm fine. That's what it means. No, I'm fine. But don't you find that, Mark? Don't you find that pity uh, problem is part of the attitude? Uh, yeah, it is. And again, it comes from a place of misunderstanding. And that's where we have to start telling the story of uh, blind people and their capacity and what they do and um, start sharing the the many experiences we have so that we can create understanding. And we have to find fun and interesting ways to do that as well. This year, um, on April 1st, uh, we released a YouTube video on our National Federation of the Blind YouTube channel, The Nation's Blind, uh, where we created a a program to send blind people out in the community to help sighted people. And so you can see on the video we have blind people offering to take sighted people across the street and uh, things like that. 
the idea was to communicate some of the experiences that many of us have, but to do it in a way that hopefully um, helped people understand that some of the ways they think they're being helpful, they're actually being hurtful. In the employment realm, one of the challenges we have is that uh, a lot of the society has bought into some of the systems that were set up decades ago um, to shelter away people with disabilities. And the fact that still today in America, people with disabilities are the only class of people that can be paid legally less than the minimum wage and that uh, nonprofit organizations uh, continue to tout this as the only meaningful way to get people with disabilities into employment, well, that contributes to the overall impression that employers have about the capacity of people with disabilities. And so there's still a lot of elements to be cleaned up in order to help us uh, make a real inroads in employment throughout society. Yes, and actually I, I feel so strongly about uh, the whole 14C situation in this country um, and I want to talk about that when I get back because I know that you, NFB, uh, had a strong voice in all of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just commend you for everything you've done in that regard. But right now we're going to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Mark Riccobono, the president of the National Federation of the Blind. I want to remind you, if you have someone that wants to hear the show, it is archived. All shows are archived at BenderConsult.com and at VoiceAmerica.com. You can actually go to our site, go to Radio Show, hear the old shows, or you can download them from iTunes. So grateful that this show is sponsored by Highmark and Bear Corporation. So right now we're going to go to break. Then we'll be back with Mark. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. 
Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We're talking to Mark Riccobono, the president of the National Federation of the Blind. Uh, and before I go on, we were talking before break about 14C and sheltered workshops. So, Mark, what do you say to people when they say, oh, well, they won't have a job if they aren't there? Um, I say that uh, it's uh, the payment of subminimum wages is unfair. It's not right. It's not work a lot of times. Uh, it's being, it's the 14C certificate has been used to exploit people with disabilities in many, many, many ways, and uh, really, people with disabilities should not be limited by the fact that the employers who are exploiting uh, this piece of the law don't have the imagination to know how to best utilize the capacity of those people. Um, Every disability-run organization in the United States supports the elimination of this 14C provision. The folks who are against it are the employers, and what the employers often do is they trounce out some of the parents who, unfortunately, haven't got connected with the resources to know the type of future their children can have, and I feel for them. I'm a father of three, and my two girls have the same eye condition that I have, and I'm grateful that I know the National Federation of the Blind and I know what sort of expectations to have for myself and for my children. We need those parents to get connected with those sort of resources. But having people with disabilities and certainly the next generation of people with disabilities um, relegated to sheltered employment that is really not based on capacity but based on limitation is a totally outdated notion, and I think the employers who continue to perpetuate it um, should face the competitive forces that any outdated employer should face in our economy, which is they should go away. Um, So we've been successful in getting a bill into the House of Representatives, H.R. 188, and a couple of weeks ago we got a bill in the Senate, S. 2001, both of these bills call for the elimination of 14C. We've been living for, with this for 77 years now, and I'm hoping that uh, in our 75th year of the National Federation of the Blind that we can count this as one of our victories and move on to talking about real ways to get people with disabilities into meaningful employment. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I often say to people when they say this to me, you know what I say? I wonder what would happen if we would ask you, okay, it's work, then you pay the same wages. Yeah. If it's work. Yeah. Suddenly, you would see that go away. I hate to say it, but you would, because it is often an incentive for companies. I don't know if anyone saw this, but I know it was talked about on Anderson Cooper, and there was a big, really big thing about, uh, you know, uh, with an organization that is one of the largest uh, hires of people with disabilities about them hiring people that were supposed to have disabilities but don't have disabilities, and then talking about the subminimum wage. And there have been shelters closed in the United States, so I really hope something happens here because there are people that are going to be paying 25 cents an hour, and I cannot think how that possibly can be considered right in this country. So, you know, good for you. Hey, I wanted to talk about when you were at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, how we were talking about this a little bit before, but when you got to that part of your life, uh, what were your accommodations like at the university? Um, You know, I was at the University of Wisconsin from 1994 to 1999, so um, it was... Not quite the beginning of the Internet, but, I mean, when I got to the University of Wisconsin, we were um, still running email on DOS and things like that. So uh, the university, I have to say, did pretty well uh, by me when I was there. Um, Had a pretty good um, disability center, the McBurney Disability Resource Center, and a pretty good... um, program that empowered students with disabilities to really be the advocates, uh, to go meet with the professors, talk about what accommodations might be needed. And the Disability Center was really there, uh, number one, to help get accessible materials, but number two, as a backstop if if you ran into trouble uh, interacting with the professor. And there were some difficult professors. There's no doubt about that. I, I don't think that a lot of disability um, offices in universities operate that way today. Um, I think sometimes they try to uh, take a little more responsibility than they should, where the student should really be the voice with the professors and the office should be the backstop. But the more important thing is um, universities are drowning students with disabilities because they're implementing technologies that are not accessible. And so the disability office can't do anything about it. If a university um, implements a learning management system that is inaccessible, uh, the disability office can't accommodate for that. Um, If a professor is using a uh, a chat site that's inaccessible and a document distribution uh, system online that's inaccessible, the disability office can't accommodate for that. And so that is one of the greatest barriers we face uh, in the education system in higher ed today is the fact that a lot of universities are implementing technology without even considering 
whether or not they're accessible to people with disabilities. And hopefully something is going to be done about that. Hopefully we will see uh, justice, justice for all, justice for everyone. So, hey, we talked a lot, you know, about you. Let's talk about the National Federation of the Blind. Uh, You mentioned you're in Maryland. Uh, What is the size of the organization, and what is your uh, mission? What are you trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, I I appreciate that. The National Federation of the Blind um, knows that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or your future, and every day we raise expectations of the blind because we recognize that low expectations create obstacles between blind people and our dreams. So we're working to teach blind people that we can live the lives we want and blindness does not hold us back. And we have developed an authentic organization uh, for blind people, by blind people, of blind people. Our organization was founded in 1940. This is our 75th year. It is and has always been 100% uh, controlled led by blind people. Our uh, board of directors has 17 members, including myself as president. Uh, All the members of the board have to be blind people, and they all have to be elected by our national convention. So we're a nationwide organization. We have affiliates in each of the 50 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, and we have local chapters under those Um, affiliates. So we have hundreds of local chapters. We also have um, special interest divisions at the national level where blind people work together on areas of employment. For example, we have a national association of blind lawyers and um, we have a national association of blind students where students get together So we have created this nationwide network of blind people, and uh, we work on whatever the concerns and priorities of the blind of the nation are. The blind decide what the priorities are at our national convention, and we pursue those uh, with vigor. So whether it's the elimination of sub-minimum wages or um, pushing for legislation to have technology in higher education be accessible, all the way down to advocating at individual um, IEP meetings for for blind kids. Uh, we have this nationwide network of blind people, and what I like to say is what this allows us to do is uh, any question related to blindness, um, I'm just a couple people away from getting the answer. If I don't know it, um, I... And know who to ask about it. Uh, blind uh, doctors, scientists, engineers, uh, lawyers, teachers, you, you name it. Um, we have people in our organization, and we're all working together to advance our collective interest. We recognize that together with love, hope, and determination, we can transform dreams into reality, and that as blind people, we're all impacted by uh, what happens to other blind people. And so um, just because I happen to be, uh, my wife and I, who are both blind, uh, because we're fortunate to have not had a negative experience where our kids 
uh, have been taken away from us because we're blind. We know that other blind parents out there have, and uh, we're dealing with a number of those cases now. And we recognize that that could have been us. And so we're working to improve opportunities because uh, we recognize that at any moment, the discrimination that happens to blind people all across the country could happen to us, and it impacts our life. And so we work collectively in our organization to improve opportunities and also to innovate where uh, other people aren't. So, for example, uh, as I mentioned earlier, access to information has been a problem for blind people, so we've built reading machines for the blind. We have a, uh, an iPhone app, the KNFB Reader, that we invented with... Uh, Ray Kurzweil, and uh, you can download it and read any piece of print with it. And that's because of the ingenuity and imagination of our organization to solve one of the problems that blind people face. And so we do everything from advocacy to building technology. Wow. Well, hey, you all really, I was going to ask you uh, about some of the biggest obstacles, but I mean, in addition to employment and stigma and access, this is another horrible thing. People that take children away from people with uh, disabilities. I mean, that. I'm really glad you're doing something about that. I really am. But before we end the show today, a couple last things I want to ask you. One, where are we on Section 508? Um, on the 508 refresh or just on? The refresh. Well, uh, you know, we keep being told it's coming. <laughs> uh, you know, the 508 refresh has been hanging out there forever. Um, we keep pushing uh, that it comes out. Um, even more significantly, we have a campaign right now to push the White House to release the um, internet regulations related to the Americans with Disabilities Act. I mean, it's ridiculous that in 2015 there's still debate about whether the internet is a place of public accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. I mean, who would question that in 2015 uh, you need to use the internet to access all sorts of goods and services that are critical to uh, live competitively in our society today. So there's still a lot of work to do. I'm, I'm hopeful that the 508 uh, refresh is going to happen and that we'll have a higher standard of accessibility uh, in the federal government, but then the key is making it happen and creating the systems to uh, hold the government accountable. Well, what about federal contractors? I mean, what about companies... Uh, that have internal applications that employees who are blind would not be able to use. Yep. I mean, that's a huge issue um, across uh, the employment sector that we're very interested in. Um, we're pursuing a number of uh, cases uh, related to technology and, and workplace employment. Uh, it's a difficult road because the courts uh, haven't always been friendly to employment discrimination cases, but we continue to pursue those and we're putting more effort into it than uh, than most and uh, 
know that there are other uh, disability organizations working on cases like this. And so I think we're going to get there. Uh, we, I don't know that we've hit the tipping point on uh, built-in accessibility of technology in the workplace, but I think we're getting close, and I think we're making some tremendous progress. Yeah, well, we really, the whole disability community needs to work together on this because if you aren't accessible, that could be not only for someone who is blind but deaf or uh, learning mobility, you know, so many different issues, but that you would work at a company and not, because you're blind, be able to use an application, Um, let's face it, you're not going to find out about every single thing in the country. So I hope the day comes where something does happen about that. I really do. I really hope it does. But um, we talked about employment for a little bit, Mark. What advice do you have for uh, people listening to the show, young students, uh, college students, anyone, people seeking employment who are blind and running into all kinds of obstacles? Well, the first thing I would say is that um, you got 50,000 blind people who are working uh, on your behalf already and who are ready to help you. And so I'd invite you to come learn about the National Federation of the Blind because uh, we're working on these issues uh, on your behalf, whether you know it or not, and we can help you out. And it's important as a young person to get surrounded by people who will expect more of you than you believe is possible. And that's what we do in the National Federation of the Blind. With love, we, we challenge each other to raise expectations. And we support each other in that effort. A lot of times we say that our organization is like a family, and it is. Um, I would encourage you to take advantage of the mentoring opportunities that we offer in the National Federation of the Blind. Be curious about the world. Get into as many things as you can and uh, figure out a way to build something that uh, will help you but will also help other blind people. And uh, in the midst of solving your own problems, you'll be able to make a difference to other blind people. And the most important piece of that is um, the best way to learn about uh, advocacy Uh, solving some of the barriers that we face is to start teaching it. And so we have a network of blind people across the country who can teach you some of the stuff we know and start teaching it to other blind students around you. And I think you'll find that um, you'll learn as much from the teaching and the advocacy work that you do as you did from learning from other people. Um, We know that collectively we can get a lot more done together than uh, working apart. And I think, actually, that blind young people today have a tremendous step up over many other classes of people. Uh, There are many young people without disabilities who do not have a network like the National Federation of the Blind ready and waiting for them to mentor them to work on their behalf and to teach them. And that's a tremendous asset that I would invite you to be part of. 
Well, you know what? That is great. And anyone listening to the show, uh, wherever you live in the United States, that is awesome. Because here you have a source that you can reach out to for help and mentoring and a network. I mean, I think that's fabulous. And by the way, what is your website, Mark? Um, NFB, as in National Federation of the Blind, .org, NFB.org. Um, check it out. Uh, we also have a number of uh, free services we offer, like our NFB Newsline service that makes hundreds of newspapers uh, available in accessible format uh, via the telephone, the Internet, iPhone app. NFB.org, you can check out all our resources. You can find local chapters, your state affiliate. And um, if you don't find what you're looking for, just call us up at 410 659 9314, and we'll uh, do our best to help you out. Now, how do you make a contribution? Well, you know, that's a very important question. <laughs> you can go to nfb.org, and uh, on every page on our website, you'll find a uh, button to make a donation to the National Federation of the Blind. Um, uh, all forms of cash are accepted. Uh, we also accept uh, car donations. Um, you, you often hear sometimes about uh, other strange um, car donation programs that purport to help the blind. Uh, donating a car to the National Federation of the Blind actually does help blind people and empower blind people. And uh, we have a number of states where we accept clothing and household goods as well, so you can check all that out on our website. You can also... Uh, mail contributions to us uh, at our address, and you can find that on our website. Uh, certainly, we always appreciate uh, financial contributions. Our organization is funded. 95% of our funding comes from individuals and organizations. Uh, we're a very grassroots organization, and so we take every dollar very seriously. All right, don't forget, nfb.org, make a contribution. Uh, so, Mark, look how much you've accomplished. It's amazing when I read your background. Uh, but what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Uh, you mean besides being on this show? <laughs> how nice you are. Yes, besides being on this show. Um, well, I have to say, um, I mean, a very personal level, um, you know, being a husband and father of three uh, young kids, uh, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's a source of pride. It's not a uh, project that's done yet by any means, but uh, certainly it's, it's an accomplishment that I'm proud of and on a daily basis um, is a real joy in my life. In a broader sense, um, there, there are many things to talk about, and certainly being president of the National Federation of the Blind is uh, a wonderful thing. I have been involved on behalf of the Federation in developing programs to inspire and engage blind youth in science, technology, engineering, and math for the last 12 years or so. We have put together some phenomenal programs, um, some programs we've had as many as 200 blind youth uh, learning science and technology for a week under the direction of blind mentors. And the young people that have come through those programs are now emerging 
in the science and engineering fields, in PhD programs, and they're now uh, the mentors. They're now teaching the kids that are coming up, the blind kids that are coming up. They're now uh, giving back. And so I'd have to say that that really is something that has just been amazing to, to watch, building a program from the ground up um, and watching now it regenerate itself by those kids paying it forward to the next generation and really taking it to the next level in places that I didn't even imagine it would go. Well, that, what you, even everything you said, your family, what you've done, uh, even helping one person, Mark, just one, makes you're making such a difference. So uh, we're glad that we have you at NFB. So if you had to leave a message with our listeners today, Mark, what would it be? Well, the message I would want to leave is that um, we've made a lot of great progress, uh, but there's still more work to be done. And we have built an organization uh, where blind people are uh, making a difference by working together. And I would invite people to become part of it. Uh, Come learn about our organization and bring your ideas to it. Uh, We need more people engaged in the work that's yet to be done in front of us. And uh, there are going to be some challenges ahead. And we need the most imaginative, uh, energetic blind people that we can find to help get that work done. Because uh, the challenges that are going to come up are ones that will impact all of us. And unless we work together to solve them, we can't get to the place that we want, the place where we can really belong in society, participate fully in society, be the leaders in society. And we haven't achieved the level of uh, independence and freedom that we have a right to, that we deserve as uh, citizens in this great nation. And I believe that our organization is um, doing a great deal to help with that, but it will only continue to do that if we have people who continue to put time and commitment into it, and so I'd hope to get to uh, meet you if you're out there. I'd love to talk to you about what your hopes and dreams are and what I can do to help you get there, but uh, know that I'm going to want to know, in addition to what I can do, um, what you're willing to do to help other blind people uh, live the lives they want. So that's the message I would want to give. Well, that is a great message. Mark, thank you for being with us, Um, and our quote to end the show. The ADA made it easier for me to be open about my disability. Andy Imperato. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 